Super Sunday gave us a title-challenging game at the Emirates. Liverpool had a chance to go eight points clear, but it was Arsenal who wanted it more, and the title race is well and truly on. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Maurizio Pochettino must be getting nervous. Jurgen Klopp had to expect Liverpool's fate at the Emirates and the January transfer window is officially closed and it was a quiet one. My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. And Neil, the big game at the Emirates today, it's fair enough to say that the best team won on the day. Yeah, no complaints today, Roy. Um... I think Liverpool went there off the back of a very convincing uh, result last week against Chelsea. Uh, there was high hopes going into this game. I kind of felt personally that Arsenal needed this game more than Liverpool did, just insofar as they would have kind of knocked the stuff out of Arsenal to lose to your rival. But they were well, well worth their points today, um, mainly based on the first half, the attitude in which they come out, the way they pressed Liverpool into mistakes. Liverpool had a very bad day at the office, very quiet day. Well, for 45 minutes, I thought Arsenal fairly comfortable. Should have been a goal up at half-time, other than a bizarre kind of an OG. Um, but overall, the 3-1 probably flattered Liverpool a little bit. I think they were well beaten. Yeah. Dave, when you look at the two teams, there's not great, I'd say not great striking options, but the, the main strikers are not there and it shows there's no real finishers in that Arsenal squad and even when Gabriel Jesus is there he hasn't really shone Salah is missing for Liverpool both could do with a little bit of firepower couldn't they? Um, yeah firepower I suppose well it's the first game Liverpool haven't played well and it's scored plenty of goals so I wouldn't necessarily 100% agree with that obviously you're going to miss Salah that's for sure but to be honest they just had a, a fantastic start today uh, Arsenal and I just had a feeling when that equaliser went in and um, I had a feeling it was going to be like the FA Cup game where they were going to rob it um, but obviously that wasn't to be and, and, and they managed to turn around in the second half with Alisson kind of letting us down a little bit on, on the first one um, but yeah no definitely I suppose yeah of course Liverpool and missing Salah I'm not going to be stupid enough to say that but this is the first one today where yeah it just never really got going but midfield was a bit weaker and thought of it today as well one or two minutes uh, just a just a bad day at the office that they rest a bit off the, the back of a, a good win against Chelsea it's hard to tell but yeah but Arsenal had a fantastic start they had a bit between their teeth and kind of set the stall out and made it difficult but uh, yeah if I, in order for Arsenal to be to, to really fear Arsenal um, yeah if they had that striker I'd be I'd be very worried if I was Man City that's for sure yeah. Dave I'm looking at the game and for me Liverpool's best defender and for for a while and other people may say uh, Van Dijk but Canate for me has been solid in that back line he did a lot an awful lot of work on the right hand side Martinelli didn't get too much change out of him today and it, it was a big blow when he went off the pitch Yeah it was and uh, he's, he's been solid all the way through the only the only one mistake I think he's today I think he overcommitted uh, and overcovered Arnold at one point and should have stuck to his position and hence why the, the first goal came about where it just kind of opened up straight through the middle. But yeah, Canate is very mobile and agile, has a bit of pace, which is exactly what's needed on the right-hand side, especially when you have to cover um, Alexander-Arnold, without a shadow of a doubt. My only problem is, is he going to have a similar body to Matip? 
and uh, can he can he go a whole season and play 23, 24 games a season? That's the only fear I have with him. But other than that, I, I definitely think he's the the leader in waiting for if and when Van Dijk decides to move on. Yeah. Um, Arsenal, Neil, it's a, obviously a great win for them. Keeps them in at two points behind. Listening to the Sky Sports pundits afterwards and none of them really are convinced that Arsenal have what it takes to win this league. What do you think? Um, <clears throat> I think they're in with a show. I, I think it's this thing about the striker. We keep saying about it. Like Kai Havertz playing up front instead of Jesus is a non-event for me. Even in the first half when he got in, it was, was him that took the shot that rebounded off Alisson and then Saka put it away. You're never convinced that why Havertz in front of goals. He gets into brilliant positions. He is a good footballer, but he's just not cold. He's not calculated. He's not the go-to guy when you need that goal. Like we're saying about Mo Salah, you give Mo Salah a chance like that and he'll sniff it out and he'll put the ball in the back of the net. That's why, look, these guys have the prize tags to do. But it just feels with Arsenal, they have so many of the right ingredients you know, which was epitomised, I thought, today by Odegaard, the way he, he went to build his business. They're not far off, but just that thing about not having a clinical go-to striker, it ju- I think everyone kind of feels a little bit like that, that it's just that piece of the puzzle they're missing, and therefore you don't treat them as seriously as they probably should be. If they had one or two of the options that Liverpool had up front, they'd just be a hell of a lot more, um, more clinical, but... Yeah, it's something that wears on as you go and you feel even today they were in perfect control of that game but where are the goals going to come from? They're looking at Saka, they over-rely on him. There's not a lot of goals in Declan Rice and Jorginho um, so they have to share it around the squad but if they can make that next jump and get that guy they could be a frightening side. Yeah. Roy Keane was saying after the game, Dave, that this suits Manchester City more than anyone. The squad that Manchester City have compared to what you look at on the bench for Arsenal and Liverpool would make them favourites. It's a fair enough kind of comment, isn't it? Yeah, and to be honest, it's, it's not surprising. Everyone's been saying it for the last few weeks, to be honest, especially with the two boys coming back now and they've won their last four. It's almost like, you know, back in the day, what Jan- or January, August to um, December, you just get yourself into position and now Man City are in a perfect position. They win their games in hand, they go point clear. That's where it is. They're going to go into championship mode now and it's just whether the others can keep pace, which I think a lot of people don't expect it and myself included. It's pretty much like, you know, I think one, I don't think it's as straightforward as our Liverpool or Arsenal good enough. I think you need more injury problems and, and, and other problems to come to, towards City because I just don't think either side can do it. And that's just a personal opinion. It's just a feeling and I think that's why it's not a surprise that, yeah, that result's perfect for, for, for City now because it's back in their hands and, and and that's exactly what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, or Neil, Raya was in goal today. I was keeping a close eye on him just to see what kind of mistakes he'd make or how good he was with his feet or his distribution, his handling. It was perfectly fine by me today and... I know a lot with the the English media where they like to kind of maybe put down a goalkeeper if one of theirs is not getting in. For me, David Rea has earned his position looking at him in the last couple of games. How do you feel about him? 
Yeah, I, I think exactly that. I, I do laugh every day. You probably got um, the camera angle when the referee had an issue on the well, sideline. You could see Ramsdale. You could see Ramsdale in the background going. Did he know he was on the ball. camera or something? Do you know what? I don't know, but they, any excuse they can get to show Ramsdale looking either happy or unhappy <laughs> in the stand, they see they must have an extra camera in there, just a Ramsdale camera. Keep it on him, and we get some collimages. I thought he was trying to yeah. be funny or something because I was like, why would you be annoyed? There's obviously clearly a technical problem. What's your problem with? Like? It, 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 it was a funny few seconds. I was like, I just didn't get it. It made me laugh. But on to Ray Roy, yeah, look, I think he did everything right today. I think he kicked one maybe to the to the right side, which went out into the stand, which was under a bit of pressure. Um, I think he's risen to the challenge. There's a, whole, there's a lot less noise around in particular, maybe since the Christmas period, mm. when people, you know, they were trying to make it out. It was a 50-50 competition, and will he hold on to the shirt and will he not? I think we all know now he will. He seems to have got over that kind of, you know, he had a couple of jittery moments, which all uh, keepers do. Look at Alison Becker today. Um, but I think he's been calm. He, he set them off on the counter-attack that time where he came and collected a big cross, set them off on the counter-attack down the left side to Martinelli, who nearly got in and they should have scored from it. So I think he's ticking all the boxes at the minute. He looks like the guy, he's probably believing in himself a little bit more now that he's held that short for as long as he has. And look, it, it'll be this time next year, it'll be a forgotten talk because I'm pretty sure Ramsdale will move in the summer and then he'll just be the, the number one outright and there'll be none of this nonsense that the, the kind of media tried to make out, you know, that it, it was his fault or, or Ted's fault or someone's fault. At the end of the day, he's stuck by his guns. He's gone with his number one. And yeah, for me, I think he's justified at the moment. Yeah. Um, so... Neil, do you believe Arsenal are in this title race? Do you believe they can go to the end and have that chance? I believe that they believe that they're in with that chance. I definitely do. You see the way they, you see the way they celebrate. I'm fully convinced they that group of players under Arteta believe this is could be and should be their year. I think they feel it was a rite of passage from last year the way it ended, the run that they had. They were almost there. So there's no shortage, I think, of confidence. They definitely believe that they're good enough. But I don't believe they're good enough. Do you, and therefore, do you agree with Jamie Carragher? Do you agree with Jamie Carragher today that the celebrations at the end were not needed and they should be just running down the tunnel and not 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 enjoying the moment? No, I don't believe it. I, look, you can go over the top in celebrations, right, right? But like you've seen Arteta when he scored the second goal. He did the Mourinho lap at the stadium nearly, and I think he's entitled to do that. It's a big, big game against your title rival. If you score and you win and you knock a dent in their title chase, you're entitled to, to, to celebrate it whatever way you want. Now, you have to back that up. But I think this is kind of par for course with Arsenal. They did it a lot last year. Massive celebrations when they won a game, and it didn't matter if it was Crystal Palace or Man City or Liverpool or whoever they beat, they went in big. But if you go in big like that, you have to back it up by winning and winning and winning where no one can knock you. So, look, what does he want him to do? Just another day at the office. Thanks very much for the three points. All right, lads, let's calmly get down, the uh, get down the steps and clap the fans and get off the pitch. Enjoy your moments. You know, life is too short in the football field. Go and enjoy these big wins. You never know when it will happen again. Okay. I have no problem with it at all. Okay, right. Uh, let's just, for the crack, let's compare who would be the best 11 between Arsenal and Liverpool today. Uh, Dave, you're going to pick a keeper between uh, Alisson and, <laughs> and Raya. Who would you have and go? Just the day long, just today. Just, just in general. Right, well then Alisson. Uh, Alisson, Grant. 
Neil, Trent or Ben White? Oh, right Jesus. back. Uh, Trent. Okay. Just brilliant with the ball. Right, but he doesn't play right back, does he? He plays right wing nearly. So, uh, well, he, he didn't really play right back today either. Today. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get a second opinion on that, Dave. <laughs> yeah, like once you said right back, I just straight away went Ben White, move on. <laughs> He's um, not a defender. He got shown up again today. God love him. Like, he is a fine player, and there's no denying it, but he can't defend for shit. Is Klopp better off? Like, well, obviously he can't. Obviously he can. I'm not. That's a bit extreme. Yeah. But he's just not on the same level as what you want a defender to do. Do you think he's shown up which is by why, the tactics? Which is why the young lad Bradley Roy yeah. has come in now, and everybody would have started him in that game today. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. So that tells you about Trent defensively. Just when he's in his pomp and the team are playing well, Trent is a different beast going forward. So yeah, you, you make allowances for him. That's just the way it is. It looks like for him for me. Okay. That position. Uh, Dave, Saliba or Van Dyke? Ooh. Yeah, this day and age, I suppose you'd have to go with Saliba now. Okay. A couple of years ago, I'd have, a, I'd have a different opinion. But I think at this current moment in time, in, in general form, I think I'd go with Saliba. Neil, Canate or uh, Gabriel? Canate. He's beast mode. Yeah, i go with that. All right, I have to say. Uh, Joe Gomez or Zinchenko? Throw, uh, throw a third one in the hat there, Neil. Throw the Scott in. Move on. <laughs> yeah, Rob Robertson would be better than either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, Gomez, go, Gomez doesn't do it for me left full. I, I couldn't pick. I, I couldn't pick either then. It's, <laughs> it's so yeah. close, isn't it? Because when you look at Gomez, yeah. I think Gomez is a good player, but he's just he, he would be yeah. more suited to playing yeah. in that right full position, really. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure, Zinchenko, yeah. for me, he's better suited into that midfield position with. Yeah, okay. So we, we'll leave, uh, we'll go, go, on half. go ahead, right. Uh, Odegaard or Curtis Jones? Dave. Next. Jesus, the day, move on. <laughs> Jones is coming on and leaps and bounds, but no, he's, he's not there yet. But no, genuinely, I'm happy with where he's going. I think he's finally getting the confidence and stepping up a little bit. But yeah, he's just not at Odegaard's level. No, not just yet. Okay, uh, Neil Ryan Gravenberch or Declan Rice? Declan Rice all day long. He's okay. safe as houses. Okay, Dave Alex McAllister or Alexis McAllister and or Jorginho. Had a Jorginho's good, kind of had his day. He had a good game today, but it was one of those yeah. days, wasn't it? But it was one of those days, and his little dance at the end annoyed me so. Alexis McAllister. <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> he's, he's also he's also whingy Italian, so yeah, don't dare, don't dare choose. Okay, <laughs> I'm not I'm not there. Okay, Niels uh, Saka or Luis Diaz. Uh, Saka. Okay. 100%. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dave, Kai Havertz or Jota? Ah, uh, Jota. And Neil, Martinelli or Gakpo? Uh, Martinelli. Okay. So when we look Comfortable. at we look at those two starting 11, uh, we can call it four and a half maybe, but you pick kind of four. Uh, we go half with the Alexander-Arnold and Ben White thing. So it kind of shows there that we have a team there that the players at the moment these are kind of feeling as an individual yeah. that you would pick more of the Arsenal players. But for some reason, Klopp, Dave, is able to generate a team that can work together and that he can trust and you as a fan can trust, even if you feel that Arsenal's players are slightly better. Yeah, but... 
you ask this in three or two or three weeks time and everyone's fit, it'd be probably six or seven to three or four. Yeah. Because you'd have Salah and you'd have Robertson in, you'd have Zobas in. You may even have Endo in because yeah. he's, he was in such good form. So you them injuries so for now them injuries are really sort of killing them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like yeah. and the midfield today the midfield today didn't lay a glove on that on, on that arc in the field. And that was a big that was a big thing. Grabenberg coming in was a bit strange. Obviously Zobasloy had a bit of a niggle, hence why he wasn't there. Um, and yeah. obviously doesn't yeah. trust Eddie enough. So like the missy battle killed us. There was no link at all between top top line and the back line. And yeah, it was just going to be another smash and grab like the FA Cup if Liverpool were to get it now but today. But yeah, no. For now, that's why it's, it's so even, evenly balanced. If you were to take a mix and match team. Yeah, Neil. Um, we'll move on to Chelsea because yeah, one minute you think they're making some sort of ground, next minute. There, Pochettino is looking over the shoulder at the moment he's looking well over that shoulder 4-1 hammering by Liverpool followed by a 4-2 hammering against Wolves at home what is it that Pochettino needs to do to be able to turn Chelsea around because the players that he has are the players that he has they're the players that were there beforehand that weren't performing is it a case that these players have to be changed or is Pochettino kind of failing and does he need to be looked at? Um, well, first and foremost, I'd start by saying his record of, what is it now, that's 23 games and he's lost 10 games is astonishing for Chelsea, number one. It's astonishing that you have 200 million or 220 million spent on two sixes in Casado and Fernandez, and both of them look bang average. So that's Pochettino's biggest problem at the moment now. The big money spent went on guys that you need to hang your hat. Let me give you the best example, Declan Rice today. There's no better six in the league at the minute. He is absolute, just solid, rock solid. Maybe Rodri if you want to compare like for like, but the two of them are rock solid for me and Casado and Fernandez do not mix it and they are crazy money. So that's, I think, the bones of why Chelsea are in the mess that they're in at the moment. The money that they spent in the background, uh, sorry, in, in the whole team, Thiago Silva is still your centre-back. What is he, 38, 39, what idea is he? Too old. Gusto looks bang average. Chilwell's only back. Cole Palmer looks a player, but I don't think they've maybe not mastered where they want to put him. Raheem Sterling is dwindling. And Conor, Conor Gallagher is uh, he's willing. I think he's able, but he, he, he's not enough to get that team over the line. So I'm looking at the Chelsea 11 that started today, and it, it just reeks a bang average. And it, it's astonishing that that's the position they are after the money they've spent. Uh, there, there should be a couple of big names in there where you're going, well, that guy would get into our team or you'd love to have that guy. It's just lost that at the moment. They're toothless up front. They bought in Cuckoo. He might take a little, another little while to get going and bearing assume he's only off the injury. Um, Jackson up front missed a header today, six yards out. Uh, I'd say a 14-year-old would have put the, the header on target. Dreadful miss. He's another guy, big money, bang average. Um, and then Pochettino, He's come in here on a big reputation. I was speaking to Jamie Carragher earlier. He was one of these that likes to throw out the lion. Pochettino is the best thing about Chelsea right now. Klopp is the best thing about Liverpool right now. Pochettino has never won nothing worth talking about. And he's going into a club here now with billions on the lion. And it's, I think, personally, it's making him look really, really poor that he can't get this uh, side with that much money and that many names anywhere near the top. 10, let alone the top six, let alone the top four. 
So there's two sides to that, Neil, your answer. Your answer is, firstly, the club has put them in a terrible position because they've spent money on very high money, big money on very average players, not too unlike some of the purchases at Manchester United. But second, you feel that he should be able to turn average players into players that are better than they are. Would that be right? Yeah, I mean, look at look at Wolves that they're up against today, right? Look at Neto, Cunha and Sarabia, them three. They ran riot over Chelsea today. They've got, a, uh, you know, their manager doesn't have all the plaudits and the goal men and people willing them to, to go with the big leagues. But he has them out in, that feet, uh, out in that field and they fight for each other. Any of the Wolves games I've watched in the last few weeks, they really do have a good team spirit. They play to their strength. But they have a couple of individual players that I think probably play a little bit above where you might think they are. And that's down to good management. That's down to a manager that has given them the, the, the ability to go further on the field. So regardless of Casado and Fernandez being that type of player, he, um, Pochettino needs to be getting more out of the rest of his squad. And he just isn't. Like these are, these shouldn't be, we shouldn't be talking about Casado, Fernandez is buying average, Conor, Conor Gallagher is buying average, Ryan Sterling. You know, he should be getting more out of them. And he's not. And I definitely, look, it's, not like that time with Potter where he had so many players and there was excuses. I don't think he's had excuses. That squad should be good enough to be challenging more than they are. They certainly shouldn't be getting beaten 10 games out of 23. And they certainly shouldn't be getting beaten at home 4-2. It's unbelievable to watch. So, Dave, Neil has a point. Thiago Silva is well past his best. Yeah, he's a starter there. Um there's plenty of players. Raheem Sterling has gone off the boil completely. Nicholas Jackson is a player that I questioned when he was coming in because mainly because I didn't really know too much about him. And normally you know something about some players that are coming into the Premier League. I hadn't heard too much of him and I can see why now. There, There's not too much about their squad. We'll go to Neil's two points. One, the squad is average enough. I've I, I seen them play many a time this year and there's not a player out there that I see that is playing above a 7 out of 10 on a weekly basis. Is it, for me, I feel for Pochettino because I think the wrong personalities are in that team. I don't see too many leaders. I think Silva is, a, is like the, the third old lion in the Sahara and he's about to drop off and be eaten by... Yeah. Uh, eaten by the, the, the footballing gods. What's your thoughts on it? Um, sorry. <laughs> the lion thing got me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind. I'm watching that captain thing on Netflix. You know, the, the World Cup one and he yeah. comes across where you were Alan, a man with real pride and stuff and you're kind of saying, when you were talking there, going, Pochettino probably needs to lean on him because he's the only one with probably leadership qualities like mentally wise because um, you know even the likes of Parmer he picks and chooses almost sometimes he's a really good player and Gallagher picks and chooses but he's expendable like there's rumours of him being being let go because of potential financial fair play the squad's a mess but I still I do agree with Neil to an extent I don't think Pochettino gets to get out of jail free card because he could make them competitive he could make them kind of Geez, this Chelsea's an awkward tide. He's making the most of what he has because that's his job. He can't just wait for another summer because they can't spend two or three hundred million by the sounds of it. They're going to have to start shifting a few because of these massive contracts. So, do I feel sorry for him? Not really. 
because he needs to start showing some remnants of of his talent as a manager per se and, and make and make a bloody awkward side there. But he's in the unfortunate position where there's about twenty players all of a similar level and he's kinda tinkering a lot as well. Like Kunku started today, I know he's on back from injury, but there's been a lot of chops and changes in that side as well consistently. Now that's because he probably doesn't know what his best eleven is, but he's gonna have to wise up and sort it out shortly. Otherwise he's gonna be uh, another victim of uh, of Chelsea's uh, of Chelsea's hot seat very quickly if it doesn't sharpen up. Yeah, and Dave Gary O'Neill has done a really good job at Wolves. That's a that's the double over yeah. Chelsea this year. Um, but he's done a really good job off the back of you know he, he got sacked not too long ago. Jumps yeah. into another job straight away and just continued on. He, he got sacked for doing a good job, and then exactly. he, he's continued on that good job. It shows how good a manager he is. Exactly, and he's got a brand new team there that he's had to work with as well, exactly like Pochettino. You'd, you'd question whether they're as good as uh, some of Pochettino's uh, uh, players. And now look at him in the last three or four weeks, it's really clicking again. He had a few kind of topsy-turvy moments in the first half of the season, but that's because he's obviously trying to feel his way into the team and they're buying into him. And all of a sudden, you've got people like Matthias Cunha who are thinking, Jesus, like, did he just, what did he walk into when he came in here? But now all of a sudden he's singing to their tune. Neto is a fine player. And uh, he, he's obviously galvanising that side, but he's doing his part of the bargain. And thankfully the lads are rewarding him back. And that relationship between Pochettino and his players is clearly not there. And today was the perfect example of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, just to move on to Spurs, because I remember when, was it Ozzy Ardiles that came into... Wasn't all the RDLs? Remember Dan Petrescu and uh, and all those oh, came yeah, in. Oh yeah, Klinsman and all them. They all came into Spurs at that time. And when they came in, Dan Petrescu. What was the other for Popescu? Yeah, and and Klinsman. Oh, um, Ili Dimitrescu. Sorry, Popescu was with Chelsea. Ili Dimitrescu and Dimitrescu, yeah. yeah, and uh, Klinsman and all that. Yeah. So when they came in, they, Spurs all of a sudden looked like an amazing side, so entertaining, winning 4-3, losing 4-3 or losing 3-2 and then they'd win 5-2 the next week and it was like, God, I can't wait to see it. Klinsman being the main man there and it was all very, very exciting. And now I look at the Spurs team now, Neil, and I see a Spurs team that is adventurous, just like Ozzy Ardile's team, that there is quality in the team, uh, just like back in the 90s when Ozzy Ardiles was there and um, a team that is on the up but also a team that conceded a lot of goals back then and this team isn't too much different and for me, I feel that this is going to be the undoing of them at the moment. Uh, what's your thoughts on sports? Yeah, they're, they're only the best thing about Spurs is, Roy, when you see a team that's ran in a particular image of a manager. So they had the Italians in, Conte and the like in there that didn't work out. And I'd say it drains the life force out of the fans watching your team play like that. Um, very methodical. You're taking no risk. Horrible football. A great football when you're winning games. In, no one cares. Like Jose Mourinho, you're... you're 11 men behind the ball, no problem, we win 1-0, we're all happy. But when you lose or you draw, it's just horrible because you have to watch the crap football. Spurs have a new manager, new mentality. They play, just ironically, the same formation as Chelsea with Benton, Core and Heiberg playing their three, five, uh, sorry, four, three, four, two, three, one. Um, but it's the freedom 
that Ange gives them going forward. You've got Werner, Madison, Johnson, Richarlison bombing forward at any opportunity. Uh, they're a high octane. It reminds me of Liverpool when, when Klopp kind of came in. It was that almost refreshingly, we're going for it. We're going for goals. We know we're going to score. He lets them off the leash. He understands they're going to concede because of the nature of the high line, because of the nature of the way they play. That's the risk. But the reward is a team that plays football that you want to watch every week. I would have never said in the last five years, oh, Jesus, must watch that Spurs game. Because they were poisonous to watch. And now you're looking at them, and they are adventurous. They're exciting to watch. Timo Werner's after coming back on, sitting on the bench in the German league, looks like a player. So this is what we're saying about Pochettino not being able to cut the mustard at the moment. Postacoglu's gone in there on a very small budget, but he's even got Richardson scoring goals now. The guy should be given a medal for it. I wouldn't have thought Richardson had it in him this time last year. So whatever Pochettino versus uh, Ange has, Ange has the monopoly at the moment. He's flying it. And what is he doing? Positive football to get the stadium, get the arses off the seats, and the players are responding to it. Brilliant to watch. I go back to Ozzy, though. Didn't win at... Well, I can't remember if he did now yeah. or not. I don't think he yeah, did win anything. To be honest. Is this football to going to be able to be successful? Very high lines, takes a lot of risks... Can can you see him, first of all, being given the time to get squad players in to be able to turn this into a, a winning team, as in trophies? Uh, you, you look at it in the way of, say, Liverpool. Uh, that's the best way to look at it, because Klopp eventually got Liverpool playing that kind of way, but he hadn't got the stardust yet. And then he managed to get the likes of Alisson and Van Dijk, and then everything changed, as we all know. That's the look that he needs. It's not going to be that easy, and it's damn near impossible at the best of times. So that current squad is not going to get him the league. He might get him a trophy or two because of the positive football that he play. But that's where he needs that bit of luck in the next couple of windows or whenever. Because Spurs will have a few balls. But that's where he'll need to try and get that magic dust of another centre-half to maybe get in with the likes of Romero and Van de Ven to be that ultimate kind of anchor. Maybe another goalkeeper for Carrier is okay, but maybe then a holding midfielder because I don't know, Hoiberg, I think, is kind of coming near the end or whatever. But just those one or two little bit of magic, if he gets them at the right time, well, then you could be talking a different tune. But until that happens, the, good, the best they're going to do is potentially Champions League football slash uh, a couple one or two. And, and, and that's just the way it is, unless they get that slice of luck because let's face it, that that bloody sky blue blue moon team who are just going to be the best that there is and you have to try and get your moment in the sun and grab it with both hands and sports are not big enough to maintain a, a challenge for years and years it's just if and when it comes that you take it Okay, we'll we'll see with Spurs. Enjoyable football. Love watching them now. When you see Conte's team, which was a bore, Mourinho's team, which is a bore, it must be beautiful to be a Spurs supporter at the moment. But again, they need that to be changed to trophies. Uh, it's something that they need. And I'm saying that even if they got into the Champions League, that would be a plus. Now, Neil, the 2024 January transfer window slammed shut on Thursday. While the mid-season window was certainly less eventful than many in recent seasons, 16 of the 20 clubs in the Premier League made at least one signing. Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool and Everton being the only teams that didn't sign. 
there wasn't much money spent. I think 96 million in the Premier League in total. Is this going to be the way forward now with some of these clubs, do you think? It certainly seems a, a leveller um, this winter. Yeah, it's like pouring cold water on something, isn't it? It's um, You have a look at it, the contrast to this time last year. Um, I don't think we've ever been in a scenario where we've heard of so many clubs, and this includes the big clubs, the ones that have the deep pockets, even the likes of Newcastle having to sell before they can buy. So the financial fair play is going to hit home with a lot of these clubs. It's already at home with the likes of Everton, a few more maybe as before the season ends. The books have to be balanced. They can see this kind of deadline coming in to make sure that they're going to be in the green. And if that means you go through the just January transfer window without needing players, without having to panic buy, I think this could be the, the norm, the, the, the absolute norm going forward that you buy in the summer, you set out your budget, maybe one or two loan moves or something just to make sure you're staying in the green. But it makes sense. Uh, the, the penalty for a fall and a foul, the financial fair play, is brutal. Um, it can ruin a season. It can relegate you. So it seems to be just sensible. Makes sense to me. And then you have a couple of small moves, be it for guys out of favour or be it the odd uh, hidden gem or a guy not getting in. Um, and that could be the way forward from now on. Yeah, Dave, the biggest spenders this time around were Crystal Palace with 30.5 million and Tottenham Hotspur with 26.7. That's over half of, of the total money spent by clubs uh, this mm. winter. That was an 8.5 million and a 22 million purchase for Crystal Palace and for Tottenham it was on uh, that one player, um, Radu Dragason, who was 27 or 6.7. So the rest of them were doing loan deals. It's going to be tough for teams to be able to spend, it seems, big money now unless they look after their 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 money over this three-year period. Do you think that over the next couple of transfer windows, we may have a quieter one than normal, just teams trying to get themselves back to, to norm and that transfers... Yeah may actually come back to some sort of normality where we had 80 million on average players. Can you see the transfers yeah. dropping a little bit just because of this? Yeah, you'd like to think so because the only ones who are able to, who have been able to consistently spend that much money has been in England and now with the financial fair play really thinking it's teasing now. It looks like that's getting harder and harder. And I just want to clarify more tongue-in-cheek here uh, uh, what Neil said. Newcastle are not a big club. Uh, <laughs> if they were a big club, they wouldn't they wouldn't be selling their players because they'd be making a shitload of money on the commercial revenues. So they're not. And come at me too now. Someday you will be, but just not. Deep right pockets, Dave. Deep pockets. Yeah, exactly. They might have deep pockets, but they are far from the deep Just put them in the box there, just so we would get a bit more hits now, maybe. Uh, but yeah, look, realistically, we'd love to see it balance it out uh, a little bit more and make it a bit real and not have these uh, sad stories of clubs, especially the guys who come in, give it a big gamble, then it doesn't pay off, and then they're drifting away into League 1, League 2, as we've seen so, with so many clubs down there that were ex-Premier League in the not-so-long-ago not past. Um, yeah, transfer fees with a bit of luck. It, I think Saudi Arabia obviously was exceptionally quiet as well in January, which was a big plus as well. Probably a mixture of lads not wanting to go, and plus they're kind of going, 
maybe we won't spend as much money just in case if this like if one or two are leaving and there's one or two rumours, like maybe we'll play it. So the fact that they're playing it simple and then the English Premier League are playing it simple, everyone else doesn't have the same money. So the fees might start coming back more to a realistic um figure. And then that might make it a bit more interesting. A couple of a couple of clubs could end up going for players that they mightn't have necessarily been able to afford. And plus if they look after the books a bit better, they might plumb up the money to get one or two players that maybe some of their competitors might be able to afford at this current. So it could be an interesting couple of months or a couple of transfer windows and a couple of seasons where a couple of players might be with a club that you wouldn't expect, but that's just the way it is nowadays. And then some of these mid-table guys might have a star man or two more than expected and uh, make it even more competitive with a good look. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Sorry, sorry, just to finish that point, uh, say, for example, the likes of Phillips doesn't go to Man City to sit on the bench. He could end up going to somewhere a bit in the middle of the road. So the big boys don't just hog up all this talent. Yeah. It might be a case of it could spread around and Yeah, it might make it interesting. I think he was sitting on the bench for West Ham today. So... Uh, just <laughs> swapped benches, uh, but still has plenty of money. Fair play to him. Okay, uh, Manchester United. You know, just to finish off, Neil, uh, and it's just to focus on one player because it's one player that at the start of the season and every game that I watched them play, I was hugely positive about. He is, uh, of course, Rasmus Hoyland, who has now scored four goals in four Premier League games, where in the first 14 games he hadn't scored any. Now, albeit he scored five goals in the Champions League and a couple in the Cup, he's a player that I believe his work rate, his ethic, his desire to score goals is something usually positive in a a Manchester United squad that is lacking any depth whatsoever. And I suppose if you look at Manchester United and we were talking about Liverpool and Arsenal there being able to challenge for the league, um, they probably have their you know 14 players at least that are, are players that are good, top quality players that can help win a league. Manchester United probably just have the bare 11 and any injuries after that, they're in trouble. Uh, if Rasmus Hyland goes out injured, I think Manchester United are in big trouble regarding having any chance of a top four, which I think they might struggle because injuries do happen. And you've seen that with Martinez today. Uh, tell me what you've seen with Rasmus Hoyland and what you think his future may hold. Yeah, it is an interesting one, Roy. Look, sometimes when you get that move to the Premier League, in particular when you're a young player, it does come with a massive weight. And when you come into a club like Manchester United where there's so much expectation and the, the players that have wore that shirt before you, the great players that have wore that shirt before you, the expectation is possibly quadrupled. Um, and on young shoulders, that can be very, very difficult. Um, I'll give Hoyland a couple of things. I, I think his attitude is spot on. <clears throat> Even when he wasn't being fed in the manner which you would think being a Manchester United forward, You'll have crosses coming in. You'll be fed in and goal, you know, several times a game. The only question then is, can you finish? I think he was starved of good service uh, for a couple of good months. Um, I think he's finding his feet now because something has changed insofar as he's getting a few more opportunities. Um, and even the other night there was at the Wolves game. He, he ran in on the goal. I think it hit off him almost by accident. But even then, goals are going in now. So for him, this could be... I don't want to say the corner turn because I don't think he was on that road where we went, no, he's going to be a flop. The attitude was good. The body language was good. The aggression, he was making the runs. He was doing everything I think that he needed to do 
And that's why when you were building him up there, I knew it was going to be Hoyland because he looks a player. And the only thing he needed then was to have them goals to relieve a little bit of pressure that he could now go, you know, he's after buying himself a little bit of kind of time now where people won't be judging him game on game. Instead, now you'll judge him over from now to the end of the season. But he's come alive. It's happening for him. It's kind of been a school of hard knocks. But um, given that we've discussed probably in the last few weeks how hard it is to find that number nine, that guy that's going to lead your line, there's so few of them in Europe anywhere. Um, they might have uncovered a little gem here. And if it does work out, it's about time, mind you. But you've got to give Ten Hag credit for picking him because one or two of the other guys didn't work out for him. But I think he's got a bright future. I think he's just beginning to get going and there's a lot of the season left now. If he can keep roughly doing goal a game, goal every two games, I think it's going to be a bright future for him. Yeah, I think Neil's hit the, the nail on the head there. It's, it's one of the very few transfers that Ten Hag has got right, Dave. I believe they're moving away from buying anyone from the Dutch league for obvious reasons uh, there hasn't been too much success there Martina has probably been the best out of them how do you view Hoyland do you think that this is a player that can go on to be a consistent 20 goal a season man that's the, the million dollar question I, I, I personally think he has a chance I think I felt sorry for him and the opinion hasn't changed too much over the last few months when we've ever talked about him. I, I think he has been served as a service exactly what Neil said. And he's obviously got a bit more extra confidence. But to be honest, the, the attitude seems a bit similar to say Nunes where even though everyone else is criticised and having a pop, they just seem to keep going and keep going and keep going. And Hoyland never gave me that impression that he was low in confidence or that he was giving up or he was down in the dumps. He just kept showing up every every week in, week out, on every play and gave it everything. And that's the mark of a, a, a top player mentally wise. And then for him, he's not the type, yeah, he did a bit of his own work today and kind of got, got his extra yard and then put it away. He isn't the type of guy that's going to create a lot of it by himself. He's going to need the, the, the serves of the team. And the fact that he's starting to bang them in, it might be a nice little mix now where there's a bit more trust on both ends, uh, on both sides. And they might start feeling that bit more because it's vitally important that you, you have that guy down the middle to, to grab your goals because there's no one else. Like they, even the Rashford of this world, whoever play, they're, they're not the striker wingers that they think they are. They, they, they're 10 goals at best. So you need that guy who's going to get you the extras. And I, I think Ireland has everything. It's just a case of whether that marriage of him and the rest of the team can come together because if they do, now not, that doesn't mean everything has to go through him, but he gets what he deserves. And if he does, I don't see any reason why not, that's for sure. Yep, um, in total agreement. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Um, can I whet your appetite for a second, right? You can. Because uh, I just have it on mute here in the background. So we all love a World Cup and the next one's in a real country. Well, real countries in, well, you can debate that, uh, America, Canada and Mexico. So the first game is going to be in the brilliant Azteca Stadium in Mexico. Uh, but uh, the, the opening game, but they've announced that the final is going to be in the New York, New Jersey stadium, which we know as what is it called, the MetLife Stadium. Mm. So, uh, uh, so the final has been confirmed for there. So for New York, and then the Azteca is the opening game on June the eleventh, twenty twenty. It's inter- so it's, it's such a vast area to have a World Cup, isn't it? <laughs> Canada, America, <laughs> and, and Mexico. Well. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. covering a huge <laughs> area there and that and that continent, you know. And 
Yeah. Uh, we seen that before when we played over there in '94. Yeah. The traveling just to go from New York to yeah. Florida and in the yeah, heat and yeah. yeah, it's 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 a vast uh, area to be going. It's a ma- I don't I I think it's madness. I don't think I think Mexico could pl- do it themselves. Canada probably couldn't, but they all could. You know, definitely definitely America could. Anyhow, you know, so. I think this is this thing where they're trying to get or have it all inclusive, get as many countries involved and get the hype around every country going. I think they've given the European Championships to, is it, no, the next World Cup, is it? Is it, is it Spain, Portugal Uh, and Morocco or something like that? The one after that? So the next year is Germany, that World Cup, the Euros in 28, I can't remember. But yeah, isn't it? Isn't No, 2030 looks like it's a, isn't 2030 supposed to be Saudi Arabia, didn't they? Oh, they yeah. kind of hinted at that. What was Spain? I think it's looking like Saudi Arabia. Um, Spain did, uh, yeah, I think there was a bid between Spain, Morocco, and okay, well, we come, uh, we come back Portugal to Portugal even. But, but I even, think the Saudis have managed to uh, wet everyone's whistle. Yeah, even this one with Ireland, Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, <laughs> and England. What an absolute who, who joke! Qualifies? What an absolute joke! Yeah, yeah no, it, it, like it shouldn't be. Am I right in saying? I think there's only two spaces for the five, so the other three have to qualify. But who who gets to decide? Well, let's face it, England's getting one of them. So who decides? England will get one, yeah. No, yeah, so it's so not. England a, won't get one. Home What'll home? happen is they they're going to have, I, I, I believe, and I may be wrong and I can be, uh, people can yeah, tell me, yeah. but I think people are going to have to qualify and whoever's left over then will get those spaces. So ah, let's put it this way. England oh, are most likely going to yeah, England are most likely going to qualify, right? So they'll qualify. Yeah, well, you'll there's be tr- rooting, there's you'll three be places then for the four. <laughs> You're rooting for Scotland to yeah. qualify and then the other three get in. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, but it's a joke. Yeah. It is, it's a joke. You, you, yeah. it, you have to you have to earn these things. And having yeah. five people there is ridiculous. Yes, if you host a European Championships or a World Cup, you should be in it. End of story, because that's the buzz around the country. But having five and having four and three and all, it's just, it's a joke. I even thought that with two. I was like, why did they need two? Like, I mean, I'd be so Irish if we don't qualify. No, I would. Yeah, usually. <laughs> and to tell you the truth, so, I wouldn't have an, I wouldn't have an interest really in like go, going into, you know, starting games just to see. Yeah. I went and seen the, the Europa League final between the two Portuguese teams. Who was that? Yeah. Um, when Braga. And Porto, wasn't it? And um, yeah, it was good. It was nice. It was atmosphere. But it's better for the, the, the Portuguese teams that were in the final. You're going there, and it's ah, oh, yeah, it's a grand final and all. But the buzz isn't the same if it's not yours. And if Ireland aren't in that European Championships, I, I just don't know. I just don't, I don't think I'd be too bothered about going in to see a game. You know, you'd feel you feel like there was a party in the gaff, but you weren't invited. You know and. <laughs> Yeah. Anyhow, listen, right, we'll leave yeah. that there. So, yeah. I, I, no, you've just upset me now telling me that. You didn't actually wet my appetite. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Dave. <laughs> Dave, thanks very much. Neil, thanks very much. And for you listening, of course, hopefully we hear from you and uh, we'll be back next week. Bye now.